This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Kat Holmes, who is the Global Director of Data Governance at TravelX. So Kat, thank you very much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, look, it's it's great to have you. Obviously, where we always start, try to give the audience as much context as possible in terms of, you know, who you are and your background. So just give us a bit of a a brief introduction into your kind of background and, I guess, journey to this point, if that's okay. Yeah, totally. So I've been transforming organizations through data and technology for over 15 years And over that time, I became increasingly aware that data was where my true passion lay. And for me, that's because data is at the heart of a human's interaction with the world around them. It goes far beyond data within corporate processes. Data absolutely is critical to how a human processes the world around them. And that's something I'm I'm really interested in. I I am still a geek um, at heart. And so, you know, I identify as a tech-driven data leader, but my sole focus is on the data disciplines. These days I'm all about data strategies, target operating models, and really helping organisations through that change so that they can survive and thrive in this data age. Because, you see, data and AI are not just game changers. They are the game changer. And I believe that applies not only to companies but to all of humanity. So obviously that journey's taken you, obviously not a, a native um, Briton, um, as you can tell by the accent. So here you are working for TravelX. What what were you kind of? What did you start with TravelX for? You know, what 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 was the aim? What were you what were you tasked to to do and achieve? I guess. Sure. I originally joined TravelX um, as part of our efforts to be ready for the GDPR implementation on the 25th of May 2018 uh, and did a bunch of work around that and then I was asked to do something on the surface seems quite simple conceptually to drive all the change necessary to pivot TravelX into a data-driven organization. Now the reality of that was extraordinarily complex for a few reasons. Probably one of the key ones was we took a visionary approach to the design We had a tech-driven operating model using AI technologies where possible, and it was so hard to find data discipline specialists who could grasp this vision and help us implement it, both uh, individuals and also suppliers. There There are quite a lot of companies that are talking the AI talk right now. But when you look under the bonnet, um, well, not all of it is, is in place. I guess another reason was that TravelX itself was rapidly changing, uh, aggressively expanding into digital currency products, 
and aligning ourselves to our parent company who are hoping to become a major fintech player. So implementing such a, a big change in the context of other massive changes uh, is not easy. Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, GDPR, a fascinating time in itself, right? And, you know, became one of the industry buzzwords that I guess, uh, ironically, AI has become <laughs> has become today. But um, you're so right there, you know, I mean, and not just suppliers and people within the industry, you know, organizations in themselves, right? They're all trying to get to this point of revolutionizing what they've got as far as data and analytics goes and talking about, you know, what comes next and how AI is going to help get them there. But the reality is within nine out of 10 organizations, probably more than that, you know, you look under the bonnet and they're just not there yet. And it's very difficult to always underpin why. But one thing I'm really keen to kind of get into and this whole piece with technology and data, especially from a governance perspective. So the last 12 months, in my opinion, has seen a definite resurgence across, you know, data governance, data management, things like that, you know, um, rewind 24 months and it was all, you know, data science, data engineering, all that type of stuff is, is the future. And, uh, you know, I've got my own thoughts on why this resurgence come about but it'd be great to know from you like you know being a global director for data governance for a global business you know why now have we got to that point where everyone is all of a sudden talking again about data governance because it kind of you know came with the peak of gdpr and fell off the cliff everyone went you know about the business looking at ai and other things and now people are really focused on the data governance the data management the, the more foundational principles of, of of our industry i guess yeah, um, it's actually a really good question, and I tend to agree with you on this. I think um, a lot of companies conflated data governance and data protection. Data protection is a subset of data governance, in my opinion. Um, it forms part of a, a discipline that I call data risk management, um, which encompasses data protection, data security, and even compliance to customer contracts particularly if you have a lot of partners. It's all of all of the processes that you need to ensure that you um, that the risks inherent with using your data are, are managed. And, and that's um, a really key subdiscipline of data governance um, of equal importance in some ways. It's not it's not about importance, it's just that it, it sits under the same umbrella. But under data governance, you have so many other uh, disciplines that that weren't looked at as GDPR really sort of rightfully so uh, became the, the key focus for companies. It's things like data lifecycle management and um, and data architecture. These are all uh, unique disciplines on their own, but they would sit under a framework that data governance owns. So as you said, data science was the big buzzword uh, and advanced analytics and, and still is, of course. Uh, an organization's uh, future depends on its ability to innovate with its data. Um, and AI technologies and the use of them by data science functions is utterly central to that. But the focus purely on that side ended up meaning that all of that capability um, to 
to be able to utilize the data without the data being trusted, accurate, and available meant that you were only looking at half of the equation. And so I think a lot of companies realized that when their data projects were failing and were like, well, what's the missing ingredients? Um, and, and I think that's really where, where it's come up. And regulatory change is also driving it. It's continuing to become more stringent, more widespread. GDPR was, was a key milestone, but you look at California, Thailand, Brazil, you know, that continues to be a factor. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And I, I agree with you. I think for the most part, you know, especially businesses that were about to go on that journey, you know, um, as far as data analytics went, often there's a tendency that they look straight towards the advanced analytics end because that's where they perceive that value to be. And not necessarily that it's not there. It's just, there's not as much as it there as they probably thought there was when the foundational stuff isn't in place, right? And then, as you say, you factor in, regulations that come and go you factor in things like privacy breaches and you know companies being fined and damage to brand and reputation on top of the monetary you know value of the fine and things like that i think it's just woken everyone up to actually it's great us doing this stuff but you know as you say you know the the adage you know garbage in garbage out you're only going to get out of of what you put into it and and so forth and so on really so Really interested to know, in your opinion, because you touched on a lot of things there around, you know, protection and privacy, security, the lifecycle management piece, architecture, and as you said, they're, they're kind of subcomponents of, of a wider framework. Where does, in your opinion, get data governance kind of start and end? Yeah, that's a really hard question to <laughs> answer because I don't think it does start and end in some ways. Yes, data governance as it's sort of in its narrow concept is around policy uh, and accountability. Those are two two key areas. So so having um, the accountability roles in place uh, and and then the underlying policy. That's kind of a narrow view of data governance Uh, and utterly critical, but but not typically how I I visualise it. Um, the framework itself contains all um, all of the disciplines and capabilities necessary uh, to achieve your data goals. Um, and I have a two-word mantra that I always carry with me, safely innovate. That's it. That's what you're trying to do with your data. So, I guess I will talk at some point during this podcast around the around the role of tech um, in that vision. But the short version is that data governance must be embedded as seamlessly as possible in any end-to-end process of data management or advanced analytics and reporting. It's as simple as that. It needs to be as invisible as possible. Why then do you think, uh, and I completely agree with you, by the way, right, it's, it's, a, it's a constant that just happens. It's not a case of, right, here's our data governance framework, it's in place, that's it. You know, Now we're going to look at the artificial intelligence. Um, obviously, it doesn't work like that. Because I think for most organizations, and um, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I think, as you said, a lot of it is around policy and regulation. So for a lot of businesses, I think it's almost been this thing that they have to do they're forced to do you know it's like a 
a tick in the box type of thing, right? We've done that now. Now we can get onto the bit that we actually want to do and find interesting in doing. Um, what, where's all that come from? Because that, that just fascinates me that, you know, I mean, we're talking about really, really smart people here, right? Running multi-billion, sometimes pound organizations and we're still having these conversations. So what, what, what's, what, you know, what's your take on that? I don't know if I know the answer to that, but I'm going to have a go at it. Anyway. <laughs> um I think two key reasons. The first is the perception, wrongly, uh, that data governance and data protection are very much around compliance, ticking compliance boxes. And remember, the data governance discipline really came of age in two key industries, uh, finance and healthcare, uh, where, you know, managing humans' data has massive real-world implications. And so... Compliance, particularly in the finance sector, which I know most about, has has always had a strong compliance and risk function. And often data governance disciplines um, sit under those functions in the past and potentially even today. And they don't, that's not where data governance belongs. Data governance, I think, should be a consulting type function. And like, so, for example, at TravelX, my role uh, was not to implement directly under me all of the capabilities needed to achieve our data goals and, and, the, and the vision. Um, data science was needed, um, product teams, the data protection team, which rightly does sit under compliance and risk. All of those were needed, but it was my job to work with them and to, in a sense, act in a consulting capacity to say, right, you need to develop a roadmap that is in line with the overall data strategy that itself is in line with the company's business strategy. What's your roadmap going to be and how does that integrate with the roadmaps of uh, what data architecture is doing, what data engineering is doing, and, and therefore how do all of those capabilities roadmaps together get us to achieving our data goals. Yeah. I guess, you know, we're, we're getting to the point now within the industry where, and, you know, there's a lot of conversations happening, people coming out being very vocal around the need for more collaboration between analytics teams and data governance and data management and data privacy teams and all that type of, of, of stuff. And, you know, so much talk in the industry around, you know, the duplication of work that data scientists do, for example, and so forth and so on. I mean, because it's, it's not, you know, like everything in our industry, we're, we're constantly trying to transform something, right? And with transformation comes a certain element of change. And as we all know, people don't often like change. So, you know, in, in the role at TravelX and in your career, Kat, how have you gone about kind of creating that buy-in from analytics teams that, you know, you're not there to try and roadblock them. You're actually there to try and help them and make their life easier. You know, there's a common goal here, uh, but it seems like, you know, that for most organizations, not the case. You know, it's a, it's a bumping of heads quite often. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's really hard. You definitely need to focus on the people aspect. and. In fact, if I digress momentarily, my mother raised me with a mantra, which has stood me in good stead my entire working life. Meet people where they're at, not where you want them to be. In other words, the imposition of change is never going to work. What does that mean practically in, in this area? Um, policy is, is, of course, the bedrock 
um, of of a data governance discipline, but I would never, um, I rarely would use it in a practical sense. It exists, uh, the tenants are there, uh, and uh, and it's necessary, you know, for any governance of an organisation. But what you need to do is you need to understand the company's business goals for the year of which an analytics team typically has a very key role to play. You need to create a data governance set of processes using technology, which I definitely want to get into shortly, in order for that to be as automated and seamless as possible for an analytics team. I mean, they do have to give ground at some point. Data doesn't magically fix itself, although with technology, sometimes it can. So they, but they have a vested interest. If their um, if their use cases or their data projects for next best action or for uh, for prediction or any kinds of modelling, if the data in that is not trusted, their data projects are never going to work. And so, and so, them understanding all of the things that are necessary for that data to be trusted, and it becomes a collaborative approach. Um, but as I said, you need to understand the data science discipline and how it works, as well as understanding those business teams and what they're trying to achieve with data in that year. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. So it's just a cultural thing, right? As with most of the topics that, that we end up discussing on this podcast, it comes down to, you know, getting that cultural piece right to drive that that change. Um, is getting that... the priorities right, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you cannot be busy saying, right, well, this year we're going to focus on uh, on employee data quality. If the business goals for the year are absolutely about improving engagement with customer, that's a massive misalignment. Mm. So, mm. Yeah. So obviously the whole technology piece is something that you've got a, a, a real relationship with. Let's Let's jump into that now because obviously i think there's there's certainly elements of that that you know have allowed you to be successful and and that relationship between technology and data governance um is an interesting area i had someone on the podcast um at the back end of last year um who has worked in data governance for a similar amount of time as you cat um you know in end user organizations and was running into the same old problems time and time again and, and ultimately joined a a vendor who have built a product where they're using artificial intelligence to aid data governance practices which was a really kind of cool episode and i guess you know we're kind of going to get into that right now which i'm excited about so yeah to, to talk us through you know how tech is playing a part in making data governance practices more efficient, better, you know, more impactful on business. Um, because again, that whole tech piece automatically, you know, your mind goes straight to, you know, data engineering, data science, artificial intelligence. That's where the tech realm is. But obviously there's much more to it than that, right? Absolutely. In fact, I would go so far to say as you need to remove humans as much as possible from the data governance discipline. Uh, And the reason is you want the business working directly with analytics and reporting. Um, So I kind of, I built, um, I was in the process of building a matrix organization at TravelX, which contained that, uh, it was called the data products portfolio, and it contained uh, the business and technology uh, primarily. Um, But obviously as well, the consultancies are protection and security and governance and so on. 
engineering a lot. And the purpose of that portfolio and and the way that data governance was working is we implemented an AI-enabled data catalogue, which is fundamentally one of the key pieces you need to do seamless data governance within an end-to-end delivery of a data project or data product. And the other sort of headline guidance or or answer I would give to that is I think organisations need to try and integrate data governance into the data integration process as far as possible. So many integrates there. (laughs) In other words, using a standardised business glossary that sits in the background you are never going to change the way that people call terms that they've been calling for 20 years. So, for example, in the financial services, um, the official term for a customer is a party in, a, in the industry terminology. But if you try and get an entire organisation to stop using the word customer and say party, it's never going to happen. So that sits in the background. Um, data gets uh, harmonised. Um, on the fly or standardized on the fly using your AI-enabled catalog, which can read that data, apply the tags, um, isolate uh, and hopefully fix on the fly uh, problems with that data and serve it straight into your platform or playgrounds uh, ready for both data science to use and also for end users to use. That's all cloud-based Um, It's all real-time, preferably uses an event-driven architecture, um, and the data governance tools sit within that end-to-end enterprise architecture. And then humans are only needed to provide the guidance in the design place. So your data owners, again, the business. So if the business has a data project, it's also setting up those guidelines at the beginning uh, and then the other role that humans play is obviously by exception when things are going wrong unexpectedly and the computers, um, as they say, don't know what's going on. This is the most successful application of AI. This is a strategy that MIT um, advocate in their courses um, around AI. Right, nice. So we're effectively they so using artificial intelligence to 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 do all of the the legwork effectively, make, making it you know more efficient um, for ultimately analytics teams to know what they're getting is right and policies are correct and data is in the right place and and all that type of stuff. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, humans are incredibly intelligent, but humans are also driven by all sorts of things that machines aren't. Uh, and so one of the biggest problems any company will have is silos. So silos of decision-making, which then has implications globally. Um, I've seen that in companies time and time again, where a North American operations would make decisions around the naming and usage uh, of a term, um, which is different to uh, UK or APAC or, or whoever, Europe, and then it totally impacts on the ability to use that data globally. Whereas a machine won't do that. A machine will, once it's given the correct parameters, um, will make the right decision again and again, assuming the training set is is solid. (laughs) Of course. So we're talking, you know, we're getting into the the single source of truth or the single view of truth or, you know, whatever term you want to coin it as, you know, it's, 
it's right and it's consistent effectively um, for what you want that, you know, what you want to call that, tag that as, et cetera. Well, you've just opened a can of worms. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't believe in master data management, not in the traditional way that it's used in an organisation. But that's a whole separate conversation, I would have to say. I guess I can just give you a hint by saying that I believe in mastering data on the fly. That's why I talk about embedding it in a data integration process. It doesn't have to be perfect in its original use in order for you to be able to use that and trust that um, in its for a data project. Yeah. I know we've spoke offline before and you've used the, you know, used that that terminology then as well, you know, about um about you know being able to do it on the fly and things like that just just give us a bit more insight into that because that's going to be intriguing yeah i guess um and i'm more than happy for for people listening to this to you know to debate with me on this i don't profess to being uh the be all and end all on this but traditionally uh companies um, some companies have had a master data management system which was connected into all of their their main operational data stores, you know, your SAPs and your backbones and your CRMs and, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff and all of the many, many side um, applications. And all of that data uh, would come into that uh, MDM uh, in order to produce a golden record, which was then spit back out. The problem with this is it's very expensive both to implement as you set it up and to maintain because if you're in a large multi-billion pound or dollar organisation, it is constantly, the systems are constantly, constantly changing, which means that you're constantly needing humans um, and processes to manage that entire ecosystem. And it's always going to be out of date somewhere, which potentially has a knock-on effect down. It's extremely expensive and slow um, to, to get in. And so if, um, if you're using more of that cloud-based mastering on the fly um, concept, and that does require an enterprise integration framework, of course, you can't just click a finger and it's all there, then you are removing what I see as a roadblock um, to that data being available, which is one of the key tenants, real time. Mm. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, so I guess bringing all this together then, obviously title of this particular episode is, you know, should we kill off data governance, which is going to raise a few eyebrows, I've no doubt. Um, Where, you know, where's that come from? And I guess, what's the answer? As with anything, the answer is yes and no, isn't it? (laughs) Um, I guess I'm not a massive fan of the term data governance because the word governance is in there and that that sends 80% of companies to or people in companies to sleep at the mere mention of the word. (laughs) Um, Of course, the purpose of data governance remains as relevant as ever, as we discussed at the beginning of the podcast, particularly with increasing um, regulatory change and particularly with data becoming, you know, one of the most important uh, parts of a business's strategy. So, so yeah, the the vision and the purpose of data governance uh, remains, but I would love to see it, in a sense, morph into things like uh, data excellence, 
data democratization. Um, I don't know if I've got any other terms off the top of my head. Data purification, that's a terrible phrase. We use that one. Um, Be be careful there because we'll start to make more industry buzzwords if we we keep going. (laughs) My new favourite one, which I created, I'm sure other people have as well, is data playground. So, so yeah, we need need to be careful with buzzwords. But but as I've said uh, during this podcast, the practice of, um, of governing that data should be occurring seamlessly on the fly within that sort of integration capability, working very closely with analytics and reporting. So, um, so, so we know we're not killing it, but we're absolutely evolving it into its next form. I'd like to see. Nice. Yeah. No, that makes, um, that makes sense. So that's all great stuff. Um, before we finish off, I guess something that I've noticed. So you know, you're fairly active on on things like LinkedIn, cat and social. Um, obviously, noticed that you've started to share more and talk more publicly about um, you know you've got a disability. Can you kind of tell tell us a bit more ab- about that, and I guess why you've decided to kind of come out with that now, as you know, at this point in time. Yeah, I'm glad you used that term coming out because um, disclosing the fact that I have a disability has been quite similar to when I came out as gay 25 <laughs> long years ago. So I have a, uh, a chronic um, long-term illness called fibromyalgia, which is a neurological pain condition. Um, people can Google it if they're interested. It's characterised primarily by the fact that, uh, uh, that I'm in pain. Um, pretty much my entire waking life uh, and and obviously fatigued by that um, and, you know, some neurological challenges. So, so for me it has been really hard to make the decision to disclose um, that I have this condition. Unlike my sexuality, which has very d- little direct relationship to my career, uh, clearly dealing with and managing this illness um, does. And... For a long time, uh, I guess perhaps a side effect of imposter syndrome, which which many people have, is this idea that I needed to prove that I was good enough, if not better, than my colleagues, um, and uh, and and a genuine fear based around the stigma um, that has has been around and endures still somewhat uh, around people with with a disability as somehow lesser, and. Um, in fact, TravelX was the first time that I officially came out to them and we discussed ways to, to make it a little bit easier for me to, to perform at my peak uh, while, while carrying this illness. And I guess I don't know anyone else at a director level or above who is publicly out as, as having a disability, um, director level data specialist or data leader, I should say, uh, and... I'm hoping that I will inspire both people with fibromyalgia uh, specifically and and anyone at a senior level that that it is really important to have role models um, at senior levels. Um, And, you know, diversity and inclusion is another passion of mine, but but I'm sure that will will be obvious to those who know anything about me. So that's kind of why I'm coming out now. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you you kind of sharing that so so openly, and obviously, as you said, you know the whole diversity and inclusion thing is 
you know, far too big of a topic to kind of cover off in a couple of minutes. And I don't want to kind of, you know, move too far away from this topic, but out of curiosity, I guess given my line of work, it's becoming more and more prevalent now. You know, every organization you speak to, there's a diversity and inclusion agenda and rightly so you know they're they're trying to make recruitment processes more fair so on and so forth but as have you felt that you know having this disability having this illness having to deal with this um trying to cover it up i imagine for a lot of your working life um for fear of being discriminated against or you know looked down upon to to a certain degree have you felt like that's hindered you at all, you know, when you've gone for, for kind of job opportunities and things like that, or, or is it being more a case of you've just masked it? So it's not really been an issue apart from, you know, probably psychologically where you're having to deal with it. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't come out earlier and you'd think I would have learnt having gone through the journey of coming out as gay and, and you hear celebrities talking about it and how when they, you know, the Hollywood stars when they come out as gay and, and how it's just totally transformed the way that they do their work and the way they engage with the world. It has utterly transformed um, my engagement with um, both Travelexa and, and potentially with the future opportunities um, that I'm exploring at the moment. Um, and being able to be upfront about that has had nothing but positive feedback uh, from the organisations I've spoken to. And the fear held me back for so long and not having it there has utterly liberated me to focus entirely on the value that I bring to an organisation, trusting and knowing that they're going to support me, you know, through through the daily challenges I have. Everyone's carrying something. And, and the more that we can be vulnerable and open about that in the workplace, the more that our teams can be high-performing and effective. It's as simple as that. But it's not easy. Leadership has an absolute responsibility to create that environment uh, for people to, to feel free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, as I said, really glad um, and you know happy that you've been able to, to kind of share that with us. And, and hopefully, you know, through the podcast, we can start spreading the word that, you know, people, sh- you know, around the world that kind of dealing with the same type of challenges should be um you know should be bringing them to the forefront and uh you know getting the burden off the shoulder for for want of a better phrase so um and i guess then obviously to to bring it back to the topic summarizing should we kill off data governance um you know no it's very important but ultimately we need to evolve what we you know how we view it what we call it all that type of of good stuff so um if anyone listens to this and wants to reach out to you, because I imagine that this is going to strike a few chords for a few various reasons, given, you know, where the last five minutes has, has been. But um, are you open for people to kind of reach out to you? And if so, what's the best way for them to kind of reach you? Yeah, my uh, my door is always open. Um, uh, obviously, constraints on, on time um, <laughs> being a factor, but... Uh, but LinkedIn is is the best way um, to reach out to me. I'm I'm quite active on that platform, and uh, yeah, well, um, just keep an eye out, I guess. Yeah, perfect. Well, Kat, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for for coming on. Obviously, sharing your wisdom and and being so open about obviously the the personal circumstances and, and things like that. And uh, yeah, we look forward to um, having you back on the show at some point in the future. 
Thank you so much, Carl. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak to everyone today. Thank you again. No problem. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.